I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. If you are a discerning health enthusiast like myself and you want the best of the best, chances are that you've probably sat there and scratched your head at the health food store trying to figure out which CBD product to buy, right? I mean, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. They all make these claims. It does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone says they're the best. Who is actually the best? What actually works? Well, I found something recently that I'm super stoked about. It's called Onda. Now, Onda offers a patented, truly full-spectrum line of products and bulk oil, actually, that's not dependent on the use of alcohol, CO2, or other solvents for extraction. And their CBD is organically grown and produced in the USA. Now, here's the thing. When you take a plant that has medicinal qualities like the hemp or the cannabis plant, right, you start stripping away all of the turpines and all of the cofactors that make it really a holistic, natural medicine, you end up with something close to a pharmaceutical, right? Now, some pharmaceuticals are great um, in a pinch when everything else has failed. But when it comes to a natural product like CBD oil, you really want the full spectrum of the plant and you don't want a bunch of junk in there when they got the extraction done, right? In other words, when they get the medicine out of the plant, you don't want to be adding poisons to it. So that's why I'm super stoked on Onda. I've been using it for a couple months and I got to tell you, um, I don't have time to go into the benefits and there's legalities, but... Uh, This product has been amazing for sleep, anxiety, stress. I'm super into it. How you can get your hands on some is as follows. Go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A, OndaWellness.com. And what's really exciting is that if you use the code LOOP15, you'll save 15% off. That's Onda Wellness, and the discount code is LOOP15. Go get your CBD on Doing a podcast that focuses much of the time on health, it of course makes sense that I get a lot of questions from people about how to improve their mental performance and function. So everybody wants to know about the new smart drug and the new nootropic and the new fancy thing. And there are some things on the market that work, but there's one thing that's quite old, my friends, that works very well, and that's called lion's mane mushrooms. And my friends over at foursigmatic.com have created not only one of the most potent and legit lion's mane mushroom products, but also one that tastes really good and is really easy to use. Now, they've also snuck a couple other things in there to help its effectiveness, such as organic peppermint, rose hips, rhodiola root, and even a hint of stevia. Now, this one is going to knock your socks off. So if you want brain and nervous system support, if you want an all-natural cognitive enhancer, This stuff's been scientifically proven to boost your memory and concentration. So you can use this when you're doing things like recording a podcast intro or promo, such as I'm doing now, studying, reading, writing, or just chilling out. Uh, You don't actually have to be using your brain a lot to take lion's mane. It just makes you feel good. It's amazing stuff. So if you want to check this out, what you want to do is this. Get over to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. If you use the code over there in your cart known as Luke story, you're going to save 15% off your lion's mane elixir. So that's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. Save 15% with the code Luke story. 
We are together again, folks, rolling deep into the woods with our guest, Michael Trainer. Before we jump into this interview, I'd like to invite you to join me on Instagram. You know why? Because if you were, you could be watching me record my intros and go through all of my production process as we speak. Now, in fact, there's a tripod right next to me with Instagram Live running where I'm explaining to people how I do this whole thing. Not only do I often record all the behind the scenes of piecing the episodes together and sharing my whole production process, which for many people is interesting if they listen to the show or if they want to know how a podcast works, but 99.99999% of the time, I also live stream all of my interviews. So if you follow me at Luke Story on Instagram, you will get a much more intimate view of what it takes to make this podcast. Today's guest is my good buddy, Michael Trainer. He's a social movement innovator who co-created Global Citizen, a music festival dedicated to ending poverty that gathers 70,000 people in Central Park every year through their own social actions. And Michael's latest endeavor is called Peak Mind. He created this after his father was diagnosed with dementia as a way to bring the peak minds of our time together to help those all over the world live happier, healthier lives and inspire them to their highest potential. His podcast is also called Peak Mind, on which I was a recent guest, so definitely check that out. Here's what we talk about in this really sort of bizarre, all over the place and hopefully inspiring conversation. Michael's new book about how to build life-changing relationships in the 21st century. There's one thing that's interesting about Homie, and he's an amazing networker, but not in a cheesy, you know, skeezy way. He's a giver and he does a lot of philanthropy. He's just a really rad guy, but he's really good at getting to know people. In fact, so much that he managed to get the Dalai Lama on his podcast, which we're going to talk about later in the episode. We also talk about the most significant corollary to your long-term health and happiness, the profound loneliness created by our digital world, overcoming imposter syndrome and insecurities, the eulogy exercise and how that can change your life forever the difference between proper and improper plant medicine use, how mankind is being ushered into a new global awakening, the physical, mental, and spiritual preparations you need to use plant medicines productively, Michael's vision for the future of Peak Mind and his plans to host the largest online meditation ever, connecting meditation to reforestation, which is a fantastic concept he came up with and is implementing, and then finally, gamifying your own evolution of consciousness. This Friday, I'm dropping a very special episode. It's a bootleg broadcast recorded live in Majorca, Spain recently. It's called Elemental Alchemy. And I teach you in this particular episode all about air, water, sun, blue light, how to align yourself with nature. It's fantastic. Make sure that you catch that by subscribing to the show. And then next Tuesday, we've got everything you ever wanted to know about almost anything with Dr. Ted Achacoso. This is a two-hour mind explosion next week, guys. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Honestly, this episode with Dr. Ted, like it was freaky good, as is today's show with Michael. But I want to make sure you subscribe so you catch the bonus show on Friday and next Tuesday's show. Of course, we've got an upcoming event, the Health Optimization Summit in London. I'll be the MC there. Um, hosting speakers like Dave Asprey and John Gray and tons of amazing luminaries and leaders in the health and wellness space. That's September 14th and 15th. Here's what's up though. I'm giving away five free tickets to this conference. 
If you want to enter to win, I'm going to announce the winner on August 30th. So go to lukestory.com forward slash London. That's lukestory forward slash London to enter to win your free tickets. If you're on a US phone, all you have to do is text the word London to the number 44222. So to win free tickets to the Health Optimization Summit, September 14th and 15th, visit lukestory.com forward slash London or text London to 44222. All right, I think that's it for the announcements. Let's go ahead and dive into this fascinating conversation with my good friend, Michael Trainer. Michael Trainer, welcome back to the Lifestylist Podcast because today your mini interview in the Bulletproof Conference All-Stars came out. And so it's fortuitous yeah, that you're man. here for a long farm conversation. Let's do this. It's a pleasure, brother. Uh, yeah, that was a really fun one. I loved our little our little deep dive at the upgrade. And uh, I'm glad to be back on the show. So you're working on a book right now. Let's jump right off with that. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't talked about it at all, but uh, thank you for, for asking. So the premise of the book is really, you know, how do we build life-changing relationships in the 21st century? I think um, many of the systems that we've grown up with across the education system, which is really based on industrial capitalism, the healthcare system, which is very in large measure around disease mitigation and and treatment um, and relationships, which we were kind of conditioned around this notion of like transactional, you know, like how can I extract value from you instead of how can I lead with value? And so I'm really interested in the idea of how do we build community and how do we build life-changing relationships because uh, the research shows actually, you know, Harvard came out with the longest longitudinal study of its kind. And basically the greatest corollary to your long-term health and happiness is the quality of your long-term relationships. Damn. It's not green juice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's not green juice. Oh shit. It's not paleo or vegan. No, just kidding. No, it's just, you know what I mean? When you're in the health scene, I think everyone gets really caught up on some of the more, the superficiality of wellness. Yeah. That you're going to like eat your way into happiness. Now you can eat your way into diabetes, heart disease, um, you know, cancer and all of these things, of course. But uh, I'm all for that human connection component. So that's cool. Well, I think people are like, you know, they're yearning for it. You know, I feel like, in this day and age, which has been spoken about before, but where we're more quote unquote connected than ever in, in the terms of the technologies, there's also just, and I've been delving into the research, you know, this profound loneliness that's actually resulting from, you know, this, this, this digital, digital culture of seeing everyone's highlight reels, right? So it's like, how do you actually create real connection and how do you do it by leading with value? You know, like, and how do we create, I mean, that's actually one of the things that I want to talk about is like, you know, how do we create these epic opportunities to connect with people in a way that forms these long-term relationships, whether that be dinner parties or like unique experiences or, you know, creating platforms like, like the platform we're on right now. Right. I I imagine over the course of the last three years, since you launched Lifestylist, you've actually built some pretty profound relationships that I would imagine have changed the course of your life as a result of creating a platform that was aligned with something you're very passionate about and provided a beacon or a lighthouse, if you will, where other people who align with your interest and passion come into your your sphere of influence. And so that's like an, an incredible example of you know, how can we basically utilize these technologies in the 21st century instead of be used by them to create life-changing relationships? 
Yeah, putting out content that is close to your heart like I do and now you're doing uh, is sort of like having a party with your favorite band playing and when you put the flyers out for your party, the right people come. Yeah. And then you have a party full of like the coolest people. When I do events and stuff, so I'm always plugging my events and speaking engagements and things like that on the show um, and the intros and stuff and people come. It's like, I'm like, dude, the people that listen to my podcast are the coolest people ever. That's right. These are all the people that I would hang out with on an island, you know? That's um, right. I, we would, I always joke, like when I do events, let's start a cult, but a, a happy cult, you know, <laughs> where, where there's no leader per se, because um, I definitely would want to try to take on that role. But it, but it is true. We can build community around shared interest and values. And, um, and that's, it's super cool. So I'm happy to hear you're doing a book about it. Thanks, brother. Especially yeah. as it relates to marketing. Because one thing I've noticed about you is you seem to be one of those people that just knows a lot of really high profile people. You just... Like, when did you launch your podcast? I only launched four months ago. Yeah. peak. So his podcast is called Peak Mind. We're going to turn the mics around in a bit and I'm going to go on his show. Uh, I'll be following in the footsteps of the Dalai Lama and Terry Crews and all these huge guests. And I'm, I mean, observing, of course... As a podcaster, when you launch, I was like, oh, cool. He'll probably get like, you know, his best friend. <laughs> like <laughs> when you start out, you just get whoever you can get, you know? Um, but I'm like, damn, you came out of, out, you came out swinging, you know? So I'm, I'm curious to hear how your perspective on networking and, and marketing and things like that is going to yeah. take, take shape in the form of a book or what you might have to add about that right now. Like, how have you, how have you been able to kind of do a career pivot much like the one that I did three years ago and kind of come out appearing to be so established? Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm honored. I, I think, you know, it's funny because obviously from your own footsteps, things always feel and look differently, but I'm also not naive to that because in coming on other shows, that's the question I often get asked. And so that was actually the rationale behind choosing to write a book about it, where I was like, there's actually other topics I was, I, I led with, with my agent and, and they were like, you know, they were excited by it, but I was like, actually, let me be in the listening. And what people keep asking me is about this relationship and, and how do you build these, this, this wonderful network. And, and what's interesting to me is I, I don't, I hadn't necessarily thought it through, but it, a lot of it resulted from, you know, these incredible experiences that came from just adding value to people without any expectation, right. And creating these platforms of value. So like you did with your podcast, Lifestylist, you know, as you mentioned before, and I know both you and I have had sort of a, a career evolution and pivot for me previously, I was, I had um, launched and, and co-created uh, something called the Global Citizen Festival, which is a beautiful uh, philanthropic music festival on the Great Lawn in Central Park. And, um, you know, we were able to bring together some of, you know, the, really the most profound musicians of our time. But the reason we were able to do that was because it was around a greater cause, a greater why, which was we wanted to end extreme poverty on the planet. And so one of the things that I've learned is like, if you, if you lead with acts of service, if you lead with something that's bigger than yourself, it's incredible the people that will come and join your vision because it's not about you. Right. And I think that's one of the key caveats we've sort of seen with the evolution, uh, like a Burning Man culture, right? It's like, how do you, how do you start to enter into subcultures where giving is the norm as opposed to taking this expectation of like, oh, what can I get from you? And we've all been at these, like, you know, these conferences or events, you know, where it's like someone's checking out your name badge discreetly to see, you know, okay, you know, and then first question is, what do you do? Right. And, and or like, 
the digital version of that on email. Can I pick your brain? And oftentimes it's like with good intentions. That's just how people are taught. But I feel like at least my experience, and I know many people I talk to, it's like if someone leads with that and like they're kind of casually looking over your shoulder, right? I don't even want to like give them the gift of of my time. And I don't mean that in like some self-important way, but like I I feel like all of us, our greatest resource is our time. And the greatest thing we can do is give uh, of our time in a way that's of value to another person. And if someone comes and automatically telegraphs, like I want to extract, like how can you help me? It's oftentimes not someone that like you want to go deep with. Whereas like some of the most profound relationships in my life, oftentimes with the sort of the figures, these notable figures have just resulted from tangentially from adding value to other people, right? So like case in point, like this week, totally random, but I reflected on it. I was invited to um, Andrea Bocelli at, at the Hollywood Bowl by a friend who I'd invited to several dinners. Like I like to host dinners on a monthly basis just to build community. Because when I moved from New York City, I was like, this is great. I'm in LA, but I'm no longer bound to this like one bedroom apartment in Chelsea. I could actually like have space and invite people over. And so I've invited this gentleman to dinner and like, you know, out of nowhere, he's like, hey, uh, I'd love for you to meet Andrea Bocelli. Come to the Highwood Bowl. And I did. And I met his wife and his wife invited me to visit them and and, and come uh, hang out with them in Italy. You know, and it's like that never would have happened. Again, I had no intention or expectation of that happening. But these kind of these these flowers bloom forth as a result of seeds you plant, I think, in giving. And so my hope is that uh, and I'm my intention is to interview lots of other people that are for lack of a better term, sort of super connectors or or have have kind of cracked the code of like how in this brave new world of the 21st century do we do we forge really life-changing relationships? And there'll be a really cool, fun process for me over the course of the next year that I hope to share with with my audience and and hopefully, you know, down the road with your audience again. But like the insights that I that I garner. And I'm happy to share obviously from my experience of of building these platforms. Um, but I'm also really really excited to be in the inquiry, right? And be in the question and ask others, like, how do you go about building the most meaningful relationships in your life? Yeah, it's a really exciting time that we live in where more and more people, I think, are starting to understand that um, cosmic law, right? Of reciprocity and not just the idea of karma as in, you know, if I'm a jerk, then someone's going to be a jerk to me later. But the positive side of karma, that instantaneous reward from putting out positive energy without having expectations and as we observe that moving into what we call, I don't even like the word marketing, you know, or sales, like sales and marketing still has like a a creepy undertone to it, but I, there's not another word for it yet. So you, you have a product or service that you want people to give you money for, like you have to put it out there. And the old paradigm is like just repeat it enough on a TV commercial and just hammer someone's head with it until they buy your fucking Toyota or whatever. And now that doesn't work so much because we can all avoid that. But if you're going to teach me everything I need to know about cars for free on your blog or your YouTube channel or your podcast, and you're my go-to for cars, and then you tell me like, hey, out of everything I found, Toyota's the shit. I'm going to go buy a Toyota. Not because you beat me down, but because I trust you and you've added value, whether you're, you know, the ad agency that reps Toyota or you're a podcaster that does things about cars. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. It's a cool, it's a cool time we live in now, especially because that's the model that I'm following. And also because for the first half of my life, I followed the model of whatever your instincts tell you you need to do, you do whatever you got to do to get it. And that usually involves walking into the room and seeing who you can extract resources from (laughs) of whatever type. 
And that's literally how I used to live. It was just like, even if I did a favor for someone, the act of doing the favor was just so I could call on a favor for them later on. I was always keeping tabs. Well, I drove him to the airport and I helped that guy move. So, you know, I'm like keeping checks and balances. I mean, this is going back a long time. It's embarrassing kind of on one level to admit that, but that was the world that I lived in. I I think that's the, that's the status quo, man. Is it still? I think, (laughs) I mean, I think it, I think if we think about like the by and large, I mean, I think that that, that sort of quid pro quo, like, you know, uh, notion of giving is still very much the norm. And I, and by the way, I don't think that's like, it's not that people, I think that come from that, that psychology, it's, it's like wrong or bad either. You know, I think it's just, that's kind of how we're taught, right? It's like, there's, it's, it's, it's very much like do, you know, this, this sort of, I would call it like outdated playbook, you know, of like, this is how you do these things. And as a result, this is what people will do. But I think, I just don't think it works anymore, right? It's kind of like to to use your analogy of of the marketing or advertising, right? Like, you know, radio, television, or whatever. You know, just blanket advertisements barraging people with billboards is not going to. Now people can turn off the channel, right? Because where are they spending their time? Well, they're spending more of their time on the social platforms, right? And they're following figures, and they opt in and they opt out of what of largely what they choose to see, and their people's attention spans are like this, right? So it's like. If I resonate with you, which I do, right? You're a dear friend. That's when I buy things, right? I went up into your Zen den and like saw, and I was like, oh man, like Luke's Luke's biohacking game is strong, right? Like, and if I wanted to buy biohacking products, which I do, I resonate with that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna see what my boy Luke's doing, you know? And like, that's gonna be so much more effective than me driving down the 405 and like seeing some billboard of whatever that is, right? Like, and I, I feel like people kind of lead in that same kind of quantity over quality as it relates to their relationships, right? Where they're just like, I'm going to walk in a room and how many business cards can I hand out, right? It's kind of like the billboards of of, of, of olden days, you know? <laughs> like, how many people can I ask, what do they do? Because then if enough people say, and then, okay, by law of numbers, maybe one or two are in my, you know, whatever industry, then I'll, you know, I'll get sales or whatever. And to me, it's like, that's what people are taught. Like that's net, old school networking. And it's so, such a broken paradigm because even if you did on off chance, play that law of numbers game and create rapport with one of those people, you know, like there's just such a better way to do it, which is just like, instead of going wide, how about going deep with a few people that you develop a genuine rapport with and start to build a relationship, not with any expectation, but just with like, oh, hang on, how can I, how could I be a value to this person? And I feel like what oftentimes leads is value beyond even our reckoning, right? And that doesn't mean like you can't have a sensibility around your, your, you have a vision, but like also so how do you enroll people in your vision, right? Like we all have visions. I've, I heard this saying some time ago, which is, you know, you're basically either enrolling someone into your vision or being enrolled into theirs. And that's neither good, bad, right or wrong. But it is interesting because I think for many years previously, as you talked about in your former life, I mean, I think many of us go through phases where we're not exactly sure what our vision is, right? And and we don't, we haven't had the benefit, as I shared with you, I don't, for the benefit of the viewers, viewers on the show, I actually studied rites of passage and traditional modalities of healing in Sri Lanka for two years during very formative time in my life when I was basically 19 to 20, 21. And 
you know, we didn't grow up with these rites of passage, these sort of processes of individuation, right? Where you would, you know, spend time literally intending on what your vision was and had a community or culture in which to then embed and feel a sense of purpose and wholeness within a community where you, your, your unique gifts could shine, right? Like a, a, a schizophrenic in today's day and age is, is sort of an outcast of society. Perhaps in another culture, they would have been an ideal shaman. Um, so, but it's about how you're held. And, and to me, that's really the trick is, is also moving beyond ideally this consciousness of what's in it for me as an individual and more in what I, what I would call the collective consciousness. Because ultimately, what we all deeply value in a true authentic connection and relatedness is a sense of something bigger than ourselves, right? Is a sense of community, a sense of, you know, who, who has my back? I call it like the, like, you know, if God forbid an ambulance were called and I was on, uh, you know, I was deeply in need, who could I actually pick up the phone and who would pick up the phone? And it's pretty scary, man. The research right now, as I've been digging in, like more than 50% of people feel alone. And what's even scarier than that is like half of those people are married. And so (laughs) it's pretty, it's pretty rough, man. So like, I guess that's the, the, there's where the divorce rate correlates, right? Well, and I think that's, and I'm not the, I'm definitely not the expert on this, but like, that's also where I'm intrigued, right? Is like, I'm focusing more on community and relationships as it relates to sort of your tribe or, or your community, your traditionally known network. But I, I would be fascinated and love to learn about obviously how that relates to your love relationships as well. But I think overall, the tenants are similar is that like we want people to have our back, you know, like truly yeah. have our back. And especially yeah. like when it's not the sexy time to have your back, you know, having, I mean, you, you, you've worked in the sort of Hollywood set, you know, I used to throw a big music festival. The amount of times people would come out of the woodwork you know, when they wanted tickets, you know, they, the, they wanted the VIP tickets to come backstage. Like, let's just say I had a lot of quote unquote friends at that time of year. It was traditionally it was in September. The, um, but it's really like who who's reaching out to you with no expectation to just check in on you. Right. Like, and I think those are the tricks. I mean, quote unquote tricks is like, you know, how do you break through this, the, the noise and create signal? And like what I'm finding is some of it's like old school, right? Like I'm now writing handwritten thank you notes, right? Because why? Because everyone's deluged by email, you know, or like lately with tech, I've been sending voice notes. Why? Because like a text is so impersonal voice note. It's like, I don't know, there's something soothing to the voice. Like these are small things, but just like, just different experiments into like, how can I create more deeper lasting uh, touch points that are truly meaningful with the people I really feel like, you know, they say that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Like who are the five that like I aspire to be, right? Like I want to like, I look up to and, and want to spend more time with and how can I just add value to them? Because I feel like if you do that and that's almost like your gym, you know, like you go do reps on that with a, with a consciousness, like it's going to, in two, three years, like, you know, unequivocally change your life, right? Like they say, everyone overestimates what you can accomplish in a day, but underestimates what you can accomplish in a year. And I can, I, I would, I guess I would ask you, hopefully, I'll have the, well, I definitely will have the chance uh, when I have you on my show later, but I would imagine the Luke story from three years ago before you launched The Lifestylist to the Luke story today and the people that you could call that would have your back uh, is measurably different, right? Like not that yeah. you're quantifying that, but yeah. I would guess that you have very different relationships. Well, I think that's what's so cool about understanding the way this metaphysical law operates. Yeah. 
and once you crack that code that selfishness and self-centeredness and rapacious self-seeking are a dead end and you really never, even if you get what you think you want, it's not fulfilling because the way you went about getting it lacked integrity, right? Yeah, totally. And just getting up every day. And of course, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not the Dalai Lama who we're going to talk about. Um, you know, I get up and think, all right, how can I get my shit done? I got to take care of my life. I mean, obviously, right. You have your goals, dreams, your vision, but I am just habituated to inspiring, educating, sharing information with people, which is what we call producing content, right? Putting content out on the social media channels. To me, it's just like so fun to find things that improve your lifestyle. And I'm so passionate about them that my passion can't be contained. And, yeah. and my friends are kind of sick of hearing about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, some of them are into it. Some of them are like, yeah, cool. That's Luke shtick. And you know, it's whatever. But the people that listen to the show and that follow me on social media, they're, they're just, their appetite for knowledge and for different ways in which to heal is just unending. Yeah. And so mine is as well. And I'm building a community that's interested in the same things to the same degree. And so it's like, I'm just compelled to keep producing really high quality, high value content. And I don't really have to think about what I get out of it. It's like I had someone over today from a biohacking technology company, right? That I'm an affiliate for or an ambassador for. So when someone buys one of these things, I get paid. Cool. That's fine. I know I'm going to get paid. And she came over and you know it was like it was a business meeting. I never she brought up like, well, here's the structure of the thing. I didn't even pay attention. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take some photos. What do you want? You know, and yeah. she was like, we need content. I want to get some photos and videos of you with the thing. So we have social, um, you know, stuff to put out. It's like, all I needed to worry about was just giving her whatever she wanted and just being there for her. That's and it. later on at some point, I'll probably get a PayPal for a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. And I'll be like, what's this for? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the cumulative payback of just adding value and not being really concerned at all with what's in it for me. 100%. Just and there's such a different come from in that. Having faith that there is something in it for me, because obviously, you know, no one's going to do anything, um, probably unless you know it's going to benefit your life in some way, not necessarily even monetarily. But I think in the three years that I've been doing this, observing from the very beginning, I never thought about, oh, how can I make money having a podcast? I didn't even know you could make money having a podcast <laughs> or that anyone would listen or that I'd be good at it or be able to get the right kind of guest or anything. I was just like, I want to change my career. I know from having a fashion school, school of style that I still own, that old marketing where you're just screaming at people and interrupting them is annoying. It doesn't work. It's outdated. And so I know the concept of just adding value and producing really good content and educating or inspiring people eventually gives them the impulse to buy something that you recommend or buy something that you produce or sell. Yeah, and there's a deep-seated human psychology, which is basically called the law of reciprocity, which is, which is basically like, look, Luke, if you like what you have been, you, you've been super gracious with me, right? Like, I mean, not that we're, there's any quid pro quo. I've never like sit down and been like, oh, I've done this for Luke. Luke's done this for me. But it's just like, you know, you know, we were paleo FX. Like I had a hotel room, but like your place was close. So you're like, hey man, crash with me, right? And I was, and it was beautiful. And we built, and I was like, 
oh, well, just because I paid for a hotel room, I'd actually rather build a relationship with Luke's story, right? Like, and so you added value to me, you know, hopefully the interaction itself was valuable for both of us, but the, the essence of it is, right, it's not like, it's it's kind of moving away from the scoring system in and of itself, right? It's just like, how can I live my life as a gift? How can I live my life from like, what is giving, right? Which is what you do. Like you're very authentic. Uh, and I imagine the audience could attest to this, right? And just like, you're, you're like passionate about learning and curious, right? Which by the way, also a tenant of health, you know, like the most successful and, and key to longevity that I've seen. And I've interviewed like you have Ben Green, all these different folks that are, that are experts in the field is this curiosity, right? Like this in like this, like childlike wonder and curiosity, which I think you exemplify as it relates to biohacking and health. And it's contagious. Of course you want to watch it. Like I want to watch Luke's story, like play with like the coolest new biohacking tool. And like, I'll probably uh, get one, you know, not because you're selling it, but because like you have like, shared multiple content with me. If I hit you up, you always are gracious with your recommendations, right? Like, so it's like, it's that I feel like is the psychology that, that I think is so helpful as all of us kind of work to step into, which is more just like, of course, there's sort of like the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? And if you're like, I'm not naive to, you know, the fact that some people are struggling and I've been in, in those, in, in those positions, right? And when you are struggling, you do have to get to a place of like where your basic needs are met, right? But like research has been done, you know, like beyond a certain point, you know, I think the, the the amount when they did the research was something around $75,000. Like making more money, for example, doesn't have an exponential effect on your happiness. It, but but community does. Like your relationships do, right? Like, and because we live in this, you know, our, our architecture, I'm sure you've spoken about this with some of like, you know, the, the, the people as it relates to nutrition. But like, you know, people to me are nutrition, you know, like, oh my it's God, like yeah. you know, it's like, and we have an architecture uh, that has evolved over millennia that evolved in tribes, that evolved communally. And much of our psychology is also still hardwired to those ways of like relating, right? Like if you were alone, you were at risk of death, right? Which is why like, if you look at our greatest punishments today, like it's like solitary confinement right? It's like the scarlet letter, like public shaming, right? Like those are like, those are the ways in which like you deeply are punished because that's like forced isolation, forced loneliness. But yet many people are feeling alone just based on their day-to-day lives. So it's like, how can we outreach and start to have people feel more connected and more seen, more heard, more valued, right? And like they're part of something. And I think you know, in our own small ways, you know, we're doing that through a variety of mechanisms. But I, I feel like this is one of them, right? It's like your vibe attracts your tribe, right? And you're putting out this, yeah, I've been to your, you know, I was at Soho Malibu. I was at the like biohacking, like geek out fest and loved it. And everyone else did, right? Like that room and I've done speeches in that room. That room was packed, you know? And I think it's, it's you think you're going for the biocharger. You think you're going for the juve or whatever it is, like the, the newest technology. But that's not why you're going. You're going because you want to feel a part of that community, that community of people who are aligned to the same thing you're interested in, right? And so, uh, and and the the risk of that, of course, which I which is what I love about you and your come from, right, is some people utilize that in a way that I think their come from 
is is like oh, okay like power like i'm going to be a guru or i'm going to be a i'm going to be and what i love about you <laughs> and we see that we see that in the community in yeah. a variety of different ways what i love about you is it's like and for me the truest people they're not dressing a certain way they're not calling themselves like you know whatever the title is of a certain thing right it's just who they are it's who they're being it's their way of being right and like that to me is the most enrolling thing ever right like you don't need to wear the you know and i'm not against but you don't need to wear the crystals and the rat you don't need to be putting on the show right like it's just like and actually the more humble you are the better right like i was just with the gathering of 40 indigenous elders and i was with this incredibly powerful uh uh ostensibly modern day medicine man who I sat sweat with Dine Navajo, but like looking at him, he was in a t-shirt trucker hat. Like you wouldn't have any idea. Right? Like <laughs> I you, love that. You, you would have no idea. He's not like, I love that. he's not like rocking this, like, yo, follow me. In fact, if anything, he was the most humble. Like when I sat and sweat with him and this is what evoked this idea of doing this, uh, this book around, around relationships was just like, it brought me back to that time in Sri Lanka, again, where there's no word for privacy and there's no word for possession. You exist in relationship to the whole. When you got in the sweat and when I got in the sweat and everyone was equal, right? We're in this like basically, we're in this collectively created symbolic womb, right? Which is ostensibly, you know, this, this, this place we are all born from and where everyone's equal, you know, like you're in your swimsuit in the dark and you're being purified by these, these sacred waters. And this, and Je Jerry was the gentleman's name. I also love that his name was Jerry. Jerry uh, would say, he would, he would just say, welcome relatives, you know? And he, it wasn't like this, like preachy, there was no, it was story. And I was like, you know, when I think about who are the most effective teachers since time immemorial, it's the people that share stories. They don't tell you what to do. They're not like the like, do this, do that. Here's the 10 things you need to do for this, right? It's like, they're the elders that like share a story, knowing that it could be of value to you, but in a way where you see yourself in the story and totally. you create the value, right? Totally. He's not the healer. You're the healer yourself. They're just providing you with a roadmap, like a basically like that archetypal hero's roadmap of like, here's how you can walk down the road. And by the way, don't forget, you know, like warning sign over here or like, hey, spring water over here, you know, like basically they remind you through archetype, through narrative, through humility, through their grace, their way of being, like how you can be. And that's inspirational, but that's you doing the work, right? And I love that model. And I feel like those are the people that remind me of who I want to be. It's the difference between a guide and a hero, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, it's funny you mentioned that in the context of a podcast, because when I started this thing out, I think I I had a lot of imposter syndrome and self-doubt because I didn't have a background in broadcasting. I have no formal education. I just have my life experience of trying all the meditations and all the things and, and uh, just thought, well, I'm passionate and I know a little something, but I'm really going to find the guests. And, uh, and pushing through that, I started to see early on that uh, what helped me move through that imposter syndrome and those insecurities was realizing that I'm not trying to be the hero or trying to be the guru that's going to tell 
you know, my audience what to do. Like I've arrived. It's more about, hey, let's hold hands and hike up the mountain together and yeah. help each other watch out for the big rocks and snakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's going to be times at which in any relationship where you're a little further down the trail or you've maybe traversed that particular rough patch before and your cohort hasn't and vice versa. But I find that I learn the easiest from the teachers that do have that humility. And I'm, you know, I'm always, one of my favorite things in the world is when your teacher is someone very unassuming and doesn't even know that they're a teacher. Yeah. And there's one that comes to mind and that is um, my housekeeper, Odelia. I'm not sure where Odelia is from. She speaks Spanish for sure. But I don't know what her country of origin is. But if I think about things that I would like to do for a living, cleaning someone else's house is not on the top of my list. You know, maybe some of the shit that I do would not be fun to other people. I don't know. Some people find it nerve wracking to sit down in front and be on camera and things like that. I, to me, it's just totally natural and normal. But cleaning houses would not be a career that I would be gunning for. Odelia shows up every two weeks. She's, dude, she's literally the happiest person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. She found the fucking secret. Yeah. I don't know what, it's not superfoods. It's not ashwagandha. It's not the juve. It's not any of that shit. I don't think I haven't interviewed her yet. Maybe I will. I should put her on my podcast, but she has gratitude and she has authenticity and she has love and she looks you in the eyes and she's just so happy to be living her life, you know? And, um, she takes great pride in her work and does a great job and she's well compensated for it. And she's found, the the golden key of perception. Yeah. Right. So I look at her like, oh, poor lady. God, she works as a housekeeper. Oh man, that's gotta be rough. And she walks in. I'm fucking super stressed out. I'm like bummed out because I overslept in the emails and the whatever, you know, my gripe with my current reality is. She walks in just happy as a pig in their own mess. Uh, very bad analogy for a beautiful person, but I mean, she's just stoked for no apparent reason. Well, she's that's the teacher, right? That, yeah, that, and so I look at her. I'm like, that's a guru. That's an enlightened master. Is someone who is just going about their day to day humble activities and just putting food on the table and just doing their thing, and is really happy about it and doesn't need some designation as a leader or a teacher or to be even identified in that. And I truly believe if I if I was to tell her like, wow, you're really inspiring. You you seem like you're very spiritually enlightened person. She would probably just laugh hysterically. Be like, what are you talking about? Because those that are most <laughs> enlightened, I feel like are the fastest to laugh, right? right. Like it, 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 it is that like, see, so uh, the, the, the thing that came up for me and I don't remember the quote, but I do remember because I had the great fortune of hosting His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, for his 80th birthday, he was not like, yo, I, you know, I'm, I'm, of course, speaking colloquially, he was not like, look at me, I'm the dot. Like, there was no pretense about him. What, I, what struck me, and I literally cried the moment I met him. You see, the, there was an authentic presence, like a presence unlike I had experienced before. And the moment he left. And what it was, and it was the same thing with my mom, who's a pretty tough cookie, like grew up in Chicago. She cried and she's like, I feel like I just met Jesus. And what it was, was just, and he on stage was like, I'm a simple monk. Like, and he wasn't like just saying that, like, I think authentically and the way that he led his way of being, honestly, I couldn't tell you that many of the words that he shared, but his way of being, it was like, he walked through the room and 
he was just connecting with everyone and like literally noticing the plant next to him and like taking a moment to like appreciate it and laughing, like finding ways to joke, like just like, and I feel like what you're sharing, uh, is it Ophelia? Odelia. Odelia. Thank you. Odelia. It's like, they've cracked the code. You know, it's like there's certain humans on the planet that have, and I find them oftentimes, it's like there's certain who are exalted, but then there's others who are like the most humble, you know, something for me, it was like, you know, the bus driver in Sri Lanka, you know, like it was, it's literally like the people that have found joy in where they are, right? Like there's that quote or that story. I don't know if you've heard of like the Mexican fisherman, but like the, the very successful, you know, uh, Westerner comes down and is in this paradise vacation, right? Like vacation from reality. That's an interesting word in and of itself, right? Like, why do we need to work 50 weeks to get two weeks vacation? But anyway, he goes down and he's out on this Mexican fishing boat with this fisherman and he's in paradise. And he's like, oh my God, you got, you've, you know what you could do with this place. You know, like you could get, you know, like you could get 10 boats and you could turn this into like this whole amazing fishing operation, you know, and the story goes on anyway, long and short of it was the gentleman's like, oh yeah, and then what could I do? You know, like this and that. And then basically, you know, it's this long story of all the things you could do to build the business, to be successful, to make the money, to do the things that this Western, you know, oriented guy came down and saying, and then he's like, and then what would you do? He's like, and then you could retire and go fishing. You know, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> right. basically I'm living already right. like that, which brings me deep joy. And that's the trick, right? Like we're so oriented towards the chase, but it's like, ultimately, what are we chasing? And, you know, we were talking earlier a little bit, but like Gary Vee, you know, who's like been famous about this notion of like the hustle and the grind. And I think some of that is super helpful because a lot of people feel stuck. But I've noticed lately he's changed his narrative a bit to like, what is happiness? And like happiness is being in the process and savoring that process, right? And like, what are you, what are you chasing? If you're chasing money for money's sake, we all know, right? Like, which very few people unfortunately talk about or meditate on on a daily basis. But like, you know, there's no, there's no get get out of jail free card. We're all we're all going to die at some point, right? And I don't know about you, but I've done the eulogy exercise, and it's like I don't on my deathbed think, oh man, I hope I had you know a couple Lambos, or like man, I, I I'm <laughs> sure, sure hope I have a ton of zeros in my bank account. I wish I would have had more Instagram followers. <laughs> exactly, and that that actually sometimes I think about when I'm on Instagram. I'm like, is this going to matter in a year? Like you know, or but. But ultimately, what I do think about is like, what are the, like, did I leave this world better than I found it? You know, what were the amazing quality experiences I shared? And who did I share them with? You know, like, who were the people in my life that I hopefully made a difference for? And, you know, ideally, and I, you know, some of my great heroes, one was, was my English teacher, Mr. Baker. I went to his funeral. He passed, unfortunately, at an early age. He was a world-class, like Olympic caliber swimmer. He, he broke his neck when he was young. He was in his prime. And so I knew him only in a wheelchair. Um, but what, what always struck me about Mr. Baker was he had this indomitable spirit. He was kind of like that, that figure we, we've mentioned where it was just this deep humility. Like he would literally wheel himself to teach swimming because he loved it at five in the morning in Chicago in the middle of winter, which if you know Chicago in the middle of winter, it is cold. And the man wheeled himself with great commitment. And he was like such a model for me. Like he inspired me to like never make excuses with myself because he didn't, not because he told me don't make excuses, but because that's how he showed up. 
every day. And when he he passed away, I remember going to his funeral and it the room was literally like capacity. Like, I don't even know, four, five, 600 people, just like you couldn't even get in. And what struck me was just like the his way of being was so consequential to so many people. And I was like, you know, God willing, whenever I, whenever it's my time, I hope that um, I've made a difference in whatever whatever way on that number of people in the way that I show up. Because to me, like that's that, that's my vision of living a good life. Uh, everyone's going to have obviously their own definition, but those sort of, for lack of a better term, humble warriors in my world are like those, those to me are the teachers I look for, you know, it's like, okay, who's like, not like fronting, presenting, showing, they're just like, they're like being right. Like in that, like I'm stoked with life, whatever life is. And it's funny that it's like, you mentioned cleaning, right? Like you go to an ashram, like all these wealthy people pay to go to these ashrams and part of like that work, right. Or like, a you know, like you go to a Vipassana, right? Like, you know, Jack Dorsey, like head of Twitter, head of Square, you know, is going and you're literally going to like go back to that like reminder of like who we are at our core essence. What's it like when you just sit with yourself or what's it like when you scrape the floors of the ashram, right? Like how do you find the joy in the mundane? You know, that to me is like when you, when we figure that out, we've cracked the code. I'm still working on it, but I, you know, that's what I'm, those are the people I look for. I like what you said too about a, a great teacher will, be wise enough to circumvent the student's ego yeah. by not being too directive. Yeah. I know for me, even to this day, and I like to think that I'm fairly open-minded and teachable, but if you shake your finger at me and tell me, do this, don't do that. I, I just, there's something in me that makes me do the opposite of whatever that is. For sure. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> totally. Don't fucking tell me what to do. Yeah. However, if you told a story Luke, there was once a young boy named Johnny and he started a podcast and da, 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 da. You know, if there's a, 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 rel- a relative uh, parable story yeah. in which there's lessons and some perhaps even hard to swallow truths that relate to me, I have a much easier time hearing that if I can put it together myself. Yeah. Where I'm going, oh, hmm, I've done that. I've felt that. I've thought that. Wow, shit, I do that too. I mean, just such a brilliant way to teach people. And I think that's... Um, you know, I, I think I was really brought up and learned so much from various teachers I've had in addiction recovery because uh, recovering addicts and alcoholics are so stupidly defiant. Mm. You just can't tell them what to do. I mean, you watch a show like um, Intervention and you're just like, what is this guy's problem? His whole family's, you know, getting devastated by his drinking. And the guy's just like, fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want, man. You know, don't tell me what to do. And you're like, "Uh, you're dying. Three days, you're going to be dead. Fuck you, I don't care. Runs out of the room. It's astonishing. But if you take that same guy and say, you know, I used to have these problems with X, Y, and Z, and here's what I did about it. You can do whatever you want. I'm not telling you what to do. This is what I've done. Or, you know, there's this guy over here and what he does is this, and this is how he fixed it. It's just, it's a really wise way to get past someone's defenses when you're not so direct, you know, because that, oh, totally. that, that shell of the ego just won't allow any new information to get in. And it oftentimes won't allow erroneous information to get out, you know, and that's where we get stuck in this hamster wheel of, of negative patterns in our lives, whether they be acute addictions or just bad habits or dead ends, or even just a career where you can't see that like you have some other ability or other talent that you could be capitalizing on, but 
you go for the safety of your corporate job or your job in medical or whatever, even though you hate it. And it takes someone else to be like, hey, this is what I've done. And then you try to do it too. But if they came to you directly and said, you need to quit doing this, you need to start doing that, you would never listen. No, you don't. And it's, it's, it's that like, it's the come from and it's like who you're being, right? It's like, there's a movie I love, which just, uh, if you haven't seen it, you got to watch. It's called The Straight Story. And it's, it's actually a true story. And it's a story of like this indignant, you know, like very stubborn, like it's an older generation, right? And it's, it's this gentleman who's estranged from his brother. And I know part of the 12-step process is making amends, but he finds out he has cancer and he's going to die. And it's a true story. He literally drives his tractor uh, something like a thousand miles. I think from like, uh, uh, I, don't, I can't remember exactly where, Iowa to Wisconsin. And he drives his tractor at, I don't know, 20 miles an hour. And it's the story of him and all the people he encounters along the way. And what's amazing is, you know, he's not perfect, doesn't purport to be perfect, right? Like, um, but he's committed to making things right with his brother. And along the way, he encounters like, you know, runaway girl who's contending with like, you know, some pretty significant decisions. Uh, if I recall correctly, she was pregnant and, you know, she's asking for advice and, you know, he's literally got this like pop-up trailer and he's like literally roasting hot dogs on this bonfire on the side of the road. And it's so indelibly marked in my mind because he's not like this, well, young lady, go back to your family. You know, you got to do that. Exactly what you're saying, right? There was no finger pointing. And she felt comfortable with him. She felt safe with him because he was this non-threatening gentleman. And he didn't purport to be like, this is how you should do it. It was more like he just like, you know, offered her a hot dog, you know, like offered her shelter from the storm and shared a story. And in that story, that parable was the wisdom she needed to make her next step. Right. And to me, it was like, you know, oftentimes we get like enrolled in this idea, uh, I think, of we get caught up in like what we need to have, uh, you know, to sort of, you know, what's the next step to be happy? It, it's like have, do, be, right? Like it's like if I have this, then I'll be happy, right? Or it's like the people that oftentimes have the greatest impact are the people who lead with who they're being, right? It's because then you, the things you have are a result of who you're being. So it's like instead of have, do, be, if you be, and then you do from your beingness, the, the, the possibility of what you have, not only for yourself, but what others can, can ascertain from your being is so powerful, you know? And so it's like, and, and we can feel that, right? Like we have that, like if when, when we're not like numbing ourselves with substances or what have you, when we're actually in our intu intuition, right? We know that like our gut is like our second brain, our enteric nervous system, right? Like there's, there's a profound intelligence there. We all have that like gut feeling, you know, when we have that gut feeling that we're in the presence of someone that like we can learn from, like th those experiences are really exciting to me. And what I've kind of distilled down is like, oftentimes those are the people who have a way of being that I just want to emulate, you know? Yeah. And oftentimes they, they are that, that way of like, yeah, they just, they have a way about them where they're just like, man, you're so joyful, you know, like Delia, like you're so joyful and just like how you show up, right? That's the trick. Who wouldn't, pay all the money in the world for the things we often take for granted, right? Like, I don't care if you're Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, founder at Bezos, you know, you lose your health, you'd pay all those billions for one more day, right? But that's something we all take for granted on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like, if we're healthy and breathing and living, my God, that's like abundance, right? Like, that in and of itself. Then, like, you know, you have the gift of, like, work, right? Like, how do we flip that, right? 
she's probably like, I got another job, you know, I'm good. I got, you know, I got like, we've, I got, I got work. I'm happy. It's like, I'm stoked with what I'm doing. Right. All of us, of course, I'm by no means like I fall into this all the time of like, oh, I've got the XYZ checklist. But like when we're grateful for like just the baseline things that like often things we're chasing, we actually already have, right? Health, our relationships, like the ability for honorable or worthy work, you know, like, man, life is, you know, like then you're like, then, then like that true fulfillment comes in, right? And like, that's what I've also been playing with lately is, is like, when am I chasing fun? And when am I chasing fun that comes from fulfillment, right? Like, cause that's, that's the long yeah. game to me. And that, that goes back to relationships as well, right? Like, is this like, like is, if this is just fun, is this just like a transactional, like, okay, cool. Like, or is it like, this is deeply fulfilling and we're going to create fun off of like this deeply root. This is a deep dive, right? This isn't just like the surface swim. This is like, I want to go deep with you and like, let's sow some deep seeds and like who even knows what that garden's going to blossom forth, you know? And that's where I'm interested is like, who are the people I want to plant seeds with? Like what, who, where is there that fulfillment, that way of being that I think it's going to lead to, to bountiful fruits. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. If you were lucky enough to hear episode 175 with Carly Stein, then you're going to perfectly understand why I'm so excited to tell you about Beekeepers Naturals, the best bee product company in the world. If you missed 175, I'm going to encourage you right now to go back and check it out. Now, I've been into bee products for a long time. I take propolis, the bee pollen, the honey, the royal jelly, all of that. But it's kind of a guessing game when you go to the health food store to figure out which one's the best, which one's really organic. Does that even mean anything? Turns out not so much in many cases. But when it comes to a company like Beekeepers Naturals, you know that you are getting the most pure and most potent bee products on the planet and that the bees are being protected and taken care of. Now, a lot of people just use bees for their amazing products and kind of abuse them, to be honest, not to get crazy here. I mean, I know it's only a little bee, but they're a crucial part of our entire ecology on planet Earth. So not only taking from the bees is important, but giving back to the bees is equally as important. And Beekeepers Naturals does that. But more than anything, just straight up, they make the best tasting and the most powerful bee products on the market. So I'd really love for you to get over there and check them out. You can find them at beekeepersnaturals.com. That's beekeepersnaturals.com. If you use the code lifestylist, you will save 20% off your order. If you're just starting out over there and you don't know what to get, I'm going to uh, recommend that you try Bee Powered because that's got all of the superfoods from the hive in one jar. It's delicious. It's super potent. And I'm on this stuff uh, almost every day. I can't have it every day because then I go through a jar in like four days because I'm just nuts like that. But this stuff is just absolutely insanely powerful and pure and it's tested for pesticides and toxins. It's clean, it's legit. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code lifestylist to save 15%. And now back to the interview. I want to go backwards a little bit because... From one perspective, we're talking about a way of experiencing life that is uh, that's a fairly high level that a lot of people spend a lot of time, energy, and resources to get to, right? Yep. And you know, like obviously, neither one of us are are living the dream all the time, but 
I would say the vast majority of the time I'm living as you described. I'm pretty happy and I'm able to see that my reality is created by my perception of it. Mm. It took me a lot of pain and suffering yeah. <laughs> to seek out the ways to learn how to associate to my life experience in that way. It wouldn't have just been something I naturally took to It's sure. because everything else failed. And I had to seek out spiritual teachers and practices and modalities and teachings and go to India and do all the things to like figure out what wasn't working and how to fix it. So take me back to when you're 19 to 21 and mm. you decide I'm going to Sri Lanka to, you know, study with these elders and uh, you know, the beginning of your journey and how you arrived at a place where you're not only finding peace within yourself, but also having enough reserve energy left over to get involved in these projects that have a positive impact. Yeah. Uh, well, for me, actually, it's, it actually stemmed in, in facing a profound fear. So my first experience away from home was actually a camp. And without going into great detail, um, you know, I got jumped. Uh, and, my, and then my first experience in Spain, my first experience abroad, I was jumped as well. So I had this like... Like mugged? Yeah. yeah well, more, more like... So the context of the story is in Spain. Um, that sucks because uh, I'm host, going to Spain in a couple of weeks. <laughs> no, Spain is amazing, by the way. I love Spain and I'm also going in a couple of weeks. But no, no, just the context is my host brother, I was there, my first experience abroad, my first night out, they took us to a club. I'd never been to a club. Oh, I didn't okay. drink. I mean, I was... But... There, uh, someone had stolen. I guess there was a town bully had stolen his soda, and I just went up and I was like, "What? You know what? What the? You know whatever?" And before I knew it, I was like punched in the face. And then it turns out that that was the town bully, and like the twenty guys behind him were his cousins, much larger cousins. And so, anyway, long story short, I didn't go to school the whole time I was there. The parents were like, "Oh no, that's the town." Like anyway, so long, long and short of it was, I, my first association with going away from home was traumatic. And lo and behold, when I got to the place of college, I sort of developed uh, what I would call like an obsessive compulsive personality. So I would, uh, what would be termed a neurotic behavior, I would look at like, you know, I'd wash my hands more than more frequently. I would like check the locks. And what was that? That was me ritualizing behavior to assuage the sense of anxiety I felt in, in leaving the known, right? Into the unknown. Um, and that happened, of course as I was approaching, you know, leaving the nest in those formative years, um, as I was approaching going to university. Now, what I realized was, and I think this is the gift, was I was creating a irrational behavior, but it was actually deeply rational. It was deeply human, right? Humans have been using ritual since time immemorial to assuage anxiety and bring about a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness, a sense of being a part of something bigger. I just didn't have a community or a spiritual traffic in which that actually made sense. And so what intrigued me was with Sri Lanka was I was fascinated at the time. It was the oldest living. I mean, there's, there's Hindus, Muslims, Christians, but it's the oldest, uh, the majority population is Buddhist. And it, there was a, literally a cutting of the actual tree under which the Buddha attained enlightenment brought to Sri Lanka in a place called Anuradhapura. And in the Theravada tradition, it was sort of the oldest living Buddhist civilization, but yet it was amidst civil war. And that paradox I found fascinating. And, uh, and then simultaneously, it was literally on the other side of the world from where I grew up. So I grew up in Chicago and Sri Lanka's 
longitudinal line opposite side of the world. So the thing with OCD and OCD behavior is the the cure, if you will, is what they call exposure therapy. Oh, right. So right. you go, so the thing you do to fix it, fix it, quote unquote, is you go as far into that which scares you as possible. And so going to the developing world on the opposite side of the world, aka my reality that I grew up in, uh, to a country literally amidst civil war, felt like the ultimate exemplification of confronting my fear. And this is a, it's a very long story. But in essence, where it brought me was I, I was gifted with this experience, as I think is often the case when we face our fears, uh, with this experience of meeting a gentleman who was a seven-generation healer uh, in a tradition that had been passed down from father to son, a very unique form of Ayurveda um, called Bhutavidya. And it's it's almost like a secret secretive art. But um, for whatever reason, the world brought us together and he gave me the very rare and unique gift of offering to bring me in and teach me like a son in his tradition. And the result of that was being exposed to this really profound architecture where people who um, had fallen out of balance um, or into dis-ease, as he termed it, right? So in their worldview, dis-ease was, was falling out of balance with your community because there was no word for privacy and there was no word for possession. So many of the diseases I think that we're being plagued by today in our modern society are a result of this isolation that we feel in this new sort of 21st century, you know, life that we're living where, and I'm not make, I'm not vilifying this, but, you know, we are encouraged to be very individualistic to, you know, to, to pursue material wealth, oftentimes to assuage a sense of anxiety, to bring about a sense of security and, you know, that's not necessarily how our architecture to go back to our previous point, right? Like we grew up living in tribes and connected to people, right? And when I went back to Sri Lanka, like there's literally no doors on the, like there's no doors, right? Like you're sleeping with your people and there's no, like my Nangis would literally worship their grandparents every morning before they left the house and every night before bed, right? So there's this intergenerational familial community, and when someone falls out of balance, you know, it's like what they would say, I, I believe it's in a certain African tribe, but like if someone did something wrong or sinned, they weren't, they weren't punished. They were actually brought into the community and loved on because it was believed that when you did something that was out, like that was quote unquote wrong or that was out of balance, it was, it was you sort of acting out because a part of you didn't feel seen or wow. held or whole, right? And a lot of addiction stems, for us, stems from that sense of disconnection, that sense of like feeling deeply lonely. And so what I found in this place in Sri Lanka was this deeply collective worldview where there was still this leaving living, breathing culture where they had this whole ritual traffic that was deeply alive and well, and where people who fell out of balance or into dis-ease or started to create these quote-unquote neurotic behaviors were brought back in by their people. Wow. And so being that forever, uh, I could go on that for, for a while, but that forever changed my life. I mean, being in that place for two years uh, was of the most formative experiences of my life. And it just, it also deeply um, exposed me to the wisdom of a lot of these indigenous cultures because I wound up then traveling and living with different indigenous elders 
where wherein there is a different relationship oftentimes with nature with the natural world which obviously seeing we're seeing now the consequences of our you know of our narrow actions as individuals uh, taken on some as we see with climate change etc and also with health right which which we are inextricably linked with our environment we are inextricably linked with each other right like there's a beautiful text for those who are listening called the jewel net of indra which is a which is a beautiful old buddhist text and it talks about our inherent interconnectedness, our inherent interdependence, right? And whether we choose to believe or not, that is reality. And so I think, you know, what what got, what I got encouraged by was looking at these tr- profound ancestral traditions, these, this profound ancestral wisdom. And, you know, given where we are, it's my particular belief, and this is, this is you know, I think the the nature does not exist in a vacuum. We exist and evolution exists. With every challenge, there's an opportunity for an antecedent solution. And so I think commensurate with the great challenges we face, there's also going to evolve a consciousness or opportunity, should we choose to seize it or not, for us to adopt or create the requisite solutions. And so I've been looking in deep inquiry at what are the ancient wisdoms and ancient traditions that have this profound wisdom, but also what are the exponential or modern uh, systems and how is there a bridge that we can create between the two, ideally to utilize these different wisdoms or traditions, uh, thoughts in a way that we can solve some of the unique challenges we face as individuals and collectively in the 21st century? It reminds me of uh, doing uh, the ancient practice of Vedic meditation next yeah. to the biocharger. <laughs> <laughs> and and then that's a beautiful exemplification. I thought about that earlier. Like when I, so when I came over, Luke was like, you want to do the biocharger? I was like, yes. Yeah. And we were both there meditating and I was thinking about that because it is that, right? It's like, here's this deep, like deeply ancient tradition, you know, several thousand year old tradition of like meditation with this mantra, which is basically a mind vehicle, an anchor in sound. And yet we're sitting next to this like Tesla coil, which is emitting these energy frequencies. And the two, uh, frankly, in my experience, I can only speak from my experience, enhanced each other uh, in a very profound way. And that's the beauty, like that's the wildness. Like I was was listening as I was on my walk, sunset walk yesterday to Nitin Sani. And I was thinking about this like incredible opportunity we have where we're living in this like masala of cultures, right? Like Nitin Sani is this beautiful band from the UK that are like sampling modern beats, but with like ancient Indian, like tabla music and like chants. And, you know, we're seeing like, whether it be blues to rock and roll, like we're like music, wise alone but like in all of the potential ways like that are are these different cultural you know meldings can add value to our lives i mean food music like all the deliciousness that surrounds us which we never would have had before because we just didn't have that intermixing and intermingling and i think that's where for me at least my i'm deeply intrigued by is this inquiry of like how do these seemingly disparate cultures come together and and create something truly unique and beautiful. This brings me into a very natural segue. And, <laughs> and that is the, the integration in Western culture of indigenous plant medicines, hmm. the Iboga, the Ayahuasca, the Peyote, the um, San Pedro, all of these things that are starting to become really commonplace and socially acceptable within certain circles. I mean, obviously, you know, the the dairy farmer 
on his farm in Ohio is not running off to do ayahuasca, but it's not that that far behind. You know, you've got mm. people now in um, various industries seeing the benefits of uh, microdosing LSD and psilocybin and using cannabis, and that's becoming more legal. And um, I think, as someone who used to use different drugs, including some psychedelics, as an escape, and now living a life that doesn't require escaping from, yeah, I see an immense value in using some of these medicines that have been put here largely by nature and God. A few of them you got to tweak a little bit to make them work how they're supposed to work. But um, this is a, a huge departure from you know, the coca leaf becoming cocaine or crack or the opium poppy becoming heroin. Sure. Um, these drugs, uh, although those serve their purpose also um, in certain ways, which can lead, of course, to utter destruction. But like, if I get thrown in the hospital, please give me some opiates. You know, what I mean? mm. if I break my toe or something, right? <laughs> Maybe. Well, that toe might not require opiates. Let's say femur. Yes, you know, give me that morphine. But when it comes to plant medicines, uh, I think that we're being ushered into this like global awakening right mm. now. Personally, I see the world is in such a positive place. Now, if you turn on mainstream media, you're going to hear a different narrative, mm. which is why I have my own radio station called The Lifestylist Podcast. And it's my point of view. And I think um, plant medicines are playing a huge role in that yeah. because it's red-pilling each person that feels called to experiment with that into a different version of reality. And if the intention is one of awakening oneself and ultimately awakening the collective, that there's an immense resource there. Mm. So I'm wondering what some of your personal experiences, because I know they've been multitudinous, if that's a word. Is that a word? Multitudinous? <laughs> <laughs> they've been multiple? <laughs> I was really wanting to use multi-something and make something out of it. Maybe it's a word. You guys um, write into the show and let me know. Give me some um, vocabulary lessons. But no, seriously, I know you have a lot of experience in this area. And so I want to hear some of your experiences with the different modalities, if we can mm. kind of summarize and give like a field guide to them as being the cosmonaut you are. And then also where you see perhaps some of the negative and the downside with them being used irresponsibly. Certainly. Or the purveyors of the different ceremonies and medicines not having the highest integrity and yeah. things like that. Like what are some of the benefits and risks involved in awakening with a little chemical help so i look at it somewhat differently than say the western view say you say chemical help or drug i don't look at plant let's use plant medicines for lack of a better term i don't i look at them as within the right context and container i i align with what you share in terms of i think we are in an interesting place collectively on the planet and for millennia, I mean, National Geographic just came out with an article where they found a pouch uh, deep in the Amazon uh, with with plant medicines in the pouch. I mean, these, these these have been tools like meditation. I mean, meditation obviously doesn't involve entheogenic plants, but that have been used as guides to help the human technology evolve. And in my view, plant medicines, when used properly, and I'll go deeper into what my view on properly is, have a profound ability to heal um, both the individual and the collective because they're one of the unique opportunities for one to go what I call into the field. The field being the collective unconscious, which is always there. It's right, like it's like sound is always there, some of which we just don't hear, right? We know that dogs can hear certain frequencies we just don't hear. 
right? Like that's just fact, that's science. In the same way, it's my belief that we have, there's a collective intelligence that oftentimes in our individualized ego-oriented reality, we're kind of, we've turned the volume down on that, if you will. And what I think when, when done properly, plant medicines allow for is a turning up of the volume on our own innate wisdom combined with a certain, for lack of a better term, um, almost godly wisdom that comes from Mother Nature in the form of plants. And there are certain, as I've studied, and uh, and this is to me goes to the properly way, I've studied with um, traditional indigenous masters who have worked through unbroken lineage through thousands of years of utilizing these plants in the proper way. And it's not, by the way, and I remember when you, you reached out to me when you were prior to your first experience, for example, with ayahuasca, and you were, I remember in our conversation, you were like, you know, I'm, I'm committed to sobriety. And so, and I know you and I've talked since then, but I remember at the time we were talking about it and you were like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to escape myself. And you said, you kind of hinted at this earlier and it's exactly what you said, right? It's like, and I remember sharing, it's, you're not escaping yourself. You're not taking a plant medicine to try to, as I think many people in, in, in modern culture look to with quote-unquote drugs, escape your reality, you're delving deeply into your reality. Like you are confronting your bullshit. You're confronting your wounds. You are confronting your essential nature. That is not an escape. That is a, <laughs> yeah, conver- so that is a conversation so with uh, God. And I don't mean that in a... Uh, in a way that hopefully uh, triggers anyone, but it's it's a divine, let's call it a divine conversation. Oftentimes a warrior, and I don't mean that in like go to war, but a warrior conversation in that traditionally, you know, a warrior was someone that was willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit of the whole, the collective. And, and that's also, and this is goes to a little bit of my pet peeve because what we are seeing now, which to me... It, you know, I don't want to be judgmental, but I'll say I do think that there are forces at play. So when if you do sit with plant medicines, you know, one, obviously, ideally, you want to be in the culture in which that plant has taken root. Um, ideally, you know, obviously, in a place where it's legal, um, where it's where it's held in a container where you can truly surrender and be in your experience. And what do I mean by that? You know, um, there are many different centers, not all of which I would say exemplify the, the highest degree of integrity. Like anything in the human experience, there are varieties, right? And there's a scale of, let's call it darkness to light. And I think being, being referred by someone you know, trust and love to a true uh, a center. And I, for me, that's in a center where you are safe, uh, where, where you are held. And, and by held, I mean... If you're, if you, to do the, some of that deep healing work, oftentimes you have to truly surrender yourself and to be able to do that, you have to really trust that you're held in an, in a container of integrity. And when you enter into the field, everyone's stuff is your work because you're working collectively, right? So also who, so who's holding the space, who's prepared the medicine, 
How did they prepare the medicine? Where does the medicine come from? Who's sitting with you in the maloka or wherever you happen to be sitting? What are they working with? Because if you open the floodgates on everyone's stuff, how's that going to influence your stuff? That's not to be overly concerned with it, but I think it's something to be mindful of because the medicine isn't just as we associate in the Western world, like a pill, like uh, it's not a drug. It's literally the, it's, it's the, amalgamation. It's the alchemy of all those things combined, who you're with, um, how the medicine's prepared, the quality of the medicine, and then who's serving and then ultimately holding the container to allow you to be truly safe in your uh, cosmic journey, so to speak, which really, and I say cosmic journey, it's really a, a journey into the self unfiltered, right? It's like this profound and I've, I've experienced it with a variety of different mechanisms for personal development, like a, a, a huge number, most of which have nothing to do with any kind of entheogenic medicine. But there are, when in the, I'll use the word proper container, there are fewer, there are a few containers, which when you are ready and you've done the work, I think that's the other piece that's really important to mention is to me, a proper way is also doing the dieta and being in preparation, right? A, a total, a, again, another way in which is a juxtaposition between people, how people use su substances to escape, escape themselves rather than confront themselves. You know, when I, my first experience with plant medicine, I literally did a 21 day cleanse where I was, you know, you're, you're, you're depriving yourself to a degree of that, which bring, oftentimes brings you pleasure. Coffee brings me great pleasure, right? Like I'm off coffee, right? Like you're not even thinking about drinking, like you're, you, you know, and you're, you're really moving down to quite a bland plant-based diet. Why? Because you're preparing your system for the work. And also you're preparing your mental space, your, you know, your mindset, because you, as is the case with many traditional processes of individuation, right? It's like you're doing the preparation, knowing that you're going to a place, hopefully you'll never come back. You'll, you'll never come back the same from, right? Like you're literally going on a journey where you will be shown things you may not see otherwise. Now, the other distinction I'll draw is I think a lot of people go for that, what's called in Greek, ecstasies, right? That ecstatic experience, but then they don't do the requisite integration and the work is in the integration, right? You, you're, you're provided with this profound reflection, this profound mirror into yourself. But if you don't do anything with it afterwards, it's kind of like, it, it, it's, that's, it's, it's a lost opportunity because it's such a profound uh, vehicle for insight into the self. And I'm happy to talk about the different, different medicines. In, yeah. in, uh, but, but that was, I just think as a, a kind of a precursor, that's my, and I'm not saying it's right, it's just like, that's my view. And the, the thing that I fear is there are a lot of people that like go to Peru for a week and come back and call themselves a quote unquote shaman. And that to me is, is dangerous, even if they have great intentions, right? Like there's just certain things, you know, people who are masters, these indigenous, you know, the, the gentleman who I interviewed, for example, on, on, on my, my show Peak Mind, Banky, you know, this man grew up literally, he died in the forest for six months. He can, he can do the call of every basically animal, bird in the rainforest, right? Wow. He has dieted for years. He has worked with this plant for 40 years, right? Like, so no matter where you go- Is he serving he, medicine around here anytime it, soon? <laughs> well, he serves his medicine in Brazil. Uh, oh, okay. and I'm happy to connect to you. He is- but but that's the thing, right? Like that's what we're talking about. Again, to go to wow, the point of like who are like the true masters, right? 
And that, and that, I think when you're when you're working with what I would call the master plants, it's important to work with a master shaman and not someone who just has the biological materials and wow. calls themselves by a certain connotation. That's that's heavy. Yeah, that's very cool. Because that this is like, look, and I, I you know, I, we don't have to turn this into a huge, but like there are, depending on your worldview. There are spirits at play when you open certain gates. There are, you psychologically can go certain places if you evoke certain traumas within yourself. You need to be able to work with someone who's adept, just like you wouldn't go to your friend who watched a YouTube video on surgery. You go to a doctor if you need surgery. (laughs) You know, like if you're doing, for lack of a better term, psychic surgery, you want to go to a real, a true doctor, not someone who got a certificate online. I feel very fortunate, you know, when I did my, I mean, I'd done psychedelics before in an unconscious way, but when I went to Rhythmia and I made a trilogy podcast about it recently because it was such a profound experience, Mm. I felt very safe and I was very clear about my intention, the intention of the people there. I mean, the whole thing was just so legit all the way through. Now, you know, I didn't quiz my shaman, but they didn't look like they've been doing medicine or serving medicine for 40 years, but I think there were um, pretty stringent requirements as to who's allowed in ceremony room and who's the ones that are in charge and who are helpers. Mm. And uh, I think because I've done a lot of inner work sober that I didn't need a lot of help. You know what I mean? Like no one had to hold my bucket or I'm just, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty familiar with um, the act of surrender. Yeah. And so I didn't really meet any resistance that I needed help working through. But God damn it, had I needed some help, it would have been great for people to be there that could hold that space. If yeah. I was freaking out or like, when does this end? Or I'm having horrible memories or I can't stop puking or whatever the case was. I think for me, I was just, I had contemplated the decision so long and I was so thoughtful about it that by the time I drank that first cup of ayahuasca and went and sat down, I was ready. That, I'm just and like that's the be- that's the beautiful thing, you know. But you, it took years to get you, there. You did the prep work, right? It was and not you're ready wi- to stri- it, it was not willy nilly. I was like, oh, this sounds fine. Oh, I have to exactly. take medicine. No, it was like, hmm, Luke, do you really want to do this? Why are you doing it? it took a lot of self honesty to totally. apply what my motives really were, to the degree that I've had opportunities since then, and thought, oh, that sounds fun. And I'm I'm like, nope, I'm out. I don't want to go have fun. Just a couple of days ago, a buddy of mine, we were talking about um, psychedelics. And he's like, dude, well, I have a, you ever done DMT? I'm like, well, not, I mean, I've done ayahuasca, but not the MA, whatever, you know, shit, the, the river toad. Five and, MEO, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all that. So it's like a few different versions of, of that and um, the DMT and all that. I guess ayahuasca has a kind of it from what I understand. Ayahuasca also has DMT. Okay. But that's, there's a chacuna plant. Anyway, it's the combination of the okay, two plants. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like one, you have to have the vine and then the activator kind of with right, ayahuasca, it's two, right? And, and that's actually to your point, well, actually, I just want to pause you for one second. Yeah. You, what you, what you, the distinction you're drawing, which I think is super important, is you're doing it, it, it intentionally. Right. Right? Like, it's not just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, fun. That sounds like a fun weekend, like right? Going like going to a sound bath or yeah, something. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like, it's not that kind of party. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you're spending, you spent years of your life working on surrender and then chose the opportune moment when you were held to do something intention to do something yeah. very intentionally. Now, one distinction I do want to just make mention of yeah. is because I think it's so important because we're so oriented towards ourselves. So like you were ready 
because you were intentional and you've done that work. The distinction I just want to draw for the audience is like, if you step in a room with 70 other people, and this is why it needs to be a well-held container, someone else may be triggered in their deep wound in a way that triggers the whole room, right? Like, so I've been, for example, in a, in a case where a woman basically was like exercising some serious stuff, right? Like, so imagine you're deeply surrendered, then all of a sudden someone starts like yelling, screaming, like it turns in, and because that's their, that's the, that's their reality. That's the channel they're on. But when you're in the field, it becomes your reality. And so just knowing um, how someone, whether knowing someone who's masterful in that orchestration, like a great orchestrator yeah. of a symphony, right? Like, cause it, all it takes is one violin to be out of tune, to throw everyone off, if you will. Yeah. So it's really who can bring you back into tune. So I just, that, that's the kind of analogy I wanted to use because it's like, that's the, that's the, that's one of the fundamental distinctions is you do enter into a very profound collective space for those who have not had that experience. Yeah. And it's just, it's important. And it sounds like you went in, and I, I know you did intentionally into, into a, a safe health container. Yeah. And when certain people were losing their shit to the point <laughs> yeah. where it was distracting for other people, yeah. they were taken out and taken care of in a loving way. Exactly. As to not interfere with the experience of the other people that were having a more subdued reality. Anyway, back to my buddy the other day. I think it might be illegal what he has, so I'm not going to say his name, but he's been on my podcast. So we were talking about psychedelics. He's like, have you done DMT? I said, well, I did ayahuasca. He goes, no, no, like DMT, straight. You know, lasts like 12 minutes or something. You get super high, you see God. And I was like, no, you got my attention. I've heard of this. I've met other friends. He said, yeah, I have a vape pen. that's like some bark or something. It's a vape pen. It's like a DMT vape pen. You want, you want to come over? Like, go do it. And I really, it really got my attention. And I took a walk. I, thought, I walked my dog after that. And I thought about it. Hmm. You know, I want to go over and do that. But then I really had to look at what my motive is. Mm. And I thought, my motive is to go just trip out. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with myself. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, yeah. hey, listen, that's, I think that's a, in my case, we'd be a much more conscious way to do it than go drinking a case of Heineken or something, you know, which I would have done some years ago. So I really thought about it. I thought, man, I could text him right now. He lives five minutes from here. I could be tripping balls on DMT. And then from what I understand, it goes away rather quickly. And you just go about your business and go home and do your emails or whatever. And I was like, this could be dope. But I had to be honest with myself that I was just doing it for a joy ride. And that I really had no... At that moment, I had no intention of like, okay, let me really be thoughtful about this and you know, create a great container for it, as you said, and be intentional about it. What am I trying to get out of it? Is there some insights? Is there a true yearning to have an experience of God, to have the veil of ego and mind lifted so that I can be in that consciousness? And yeah, I think there's some of that, but more than anything, I'm just like, I want to see what this shit's like. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't do it because it's just, hmm, I don't want to tempt fate at mm. where I am in my life. And I, I want to be respectful of these these different molecules essentially that have been put here on the planet for our use. And, and it's not to say that I won't do it. I might text him someday and be like, okay, I'm clear now. Mm. And I think it's Saturday afternoon and yeah, I just want to go trip balls and that's okay. Mm. Maybe I would do that. Maybe not. But in that moment, it was just fun to have that realization like, ah, Luke, you're about to bullshit yourself here. You know, what are you all about in this moment? It was like, I just want to have fun. You know, it was like that little kid that does want to kind of escape. Yeah. 
And then I thought, man, I got shit to do. I got to get home. I do have emails to answer and things like that. And I, I don't think right now taking a, a rocket ship to God uh, this afternoon is a wise choice for me at this point. <laughs> Well, and I, I think that you make an important point, right? Because it's like, again, you you're, you are your own guru. And what you did, which I honor you for, is like you checked in with yourself, right? Like the number of times I've had journeys offered to me that are great, like like amazing opportunities on measure. But I all checked in with myself and I was like, it's not the right time. I'm not in the right place. I haven't done the right preparation, right? Like even if I wanted to, right? But I'm just like, again, like how do you how do you treat something, right? Do you, uh, you know, there's sort of like this delineation as I was in Sri Lanka between what you would consider like called the, the sacred and the profane, right? Like, and so oftentimes that's in how you see something or in how you approach something. And if you do indeed some, see something as sacred or your intention is to have that quote unquote conversation with God, <laughs> it's probably not going over to your buddy's house on a vape pen. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not making it wrong. I'm just saying like, yeah, totally. you know, like you, what you, what you did was you called it out for what it is. Like it probably would have been, you know, I'm get, I have, I don't know, but like it may have been very fun, but it wouldn't be a lot if that it depends on what your intention is. Right. And so you checked yeah. in with yourself and you got clear on your intention for me, not uh, it's not my job to judge or tell anyone what their journey is. I'm just saying for me, like when I choose and I haven't like, it's not like I've, I like have done tremendous numbers of experiences, but you know, over the course of the last, you know, since I studied in Sri Lanka, uh, you know, 20 some odd years ago, you know, like I have visited with indigenous elders and had the gift of some really profound opportunities. I mean, literally like sat in ceremony with, elders from all different, I mean, like master, master shamans from different cultures. And that is just such a gift. Um, but it's, but it's as a result, I think of, of treating, treat of it experiencing. I experience it as sacred and therefore treat it as such. And by no means does that mean I'm perfect or like, have you know, like I'm just like, but I, but I have an intentionality around it. And I think what you checked in with is like, that's it, right? It's like, okay, What's your intention? What I've found is that oftentimes the quote unquote results, epiphanies, um, experiences, insights have come directly in proportion to my intentionality around the experience. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's where it gets really interesting, right? It's like, uh, it's like when you, it goes back a little bit full circle, right? Like when you give, like when you're going in as if like, okay, I'm going to offer myself, I'm going to treat this experience as an offering. And I'm going to, uh, you know, really, as you said, surrender. And like, what do, what is here for me to learn? You know, what is here for me to let go of? Like, that's a lot of times my intention, right? Like yeah. who, who am I being that I get to surrender that is not serving me or those around me, right? Like what insights do I need to receive to be the highest version of myself, right? Like what do I need to forgive or for, or let go of in terms of ways other people have betrayed me or trespassed against me? What ways have I betrayed or trespassed against other people, right? Like not in like the Western notion of like sin, but like where have I like, you know, where are there insights that I can garner where like, and that's what, that's been the gift, right? Like there've been profoundly traumatic experiences in my life that I've revisited on plant medicine where I saw it from the other person's 
wounds yeah. the other person's I perspective had that shit, dude. Yep. and you're like whoa okay it doesn't make it like right but it was a profound healing for me cuz i saw in a way that i could only see from this super, like this higher perspective whoa i see where they were operating from like they were they were operating out of their own wounds which makes it easier for me to forgive you know like totally. and therefore be liberated from a burden which i carry with me you know like uh, i can't remember the name of that movie but like you know where the missionary like basically is like moving through the amazon jungle with like as a punishment to himself with like uh you know armor that he's dragging it's like all of us are walking around with this like metaphorical like baggage slash armor that we're dragging through life and like how liberating is it to like cut off cut cut the rope on some of that and be like oh I'm a little lighter, you know, I'm a little bit more fully myself, a little bit more like my true nature. And ideally, you know, if we do the work and integrate, like how, how much of a gift that can, can that be to others? Because we, we become more of our essential nature. Very well said. Yeah. I had that direct experience where I was having the realization of, I'm aware that I experienced trauma when I was a kid and I've worked on it through different modalities and therapy and all that kind of stuff. But I was shown in a really profound way the depth of that trauma and how it really shaped my life. Yeah. And uh and then as you said I was able to see uh past the the victimhood and perpetrator model and to see that the perpetrators were in fact victims also because mm-hmm. they were victims of their own mm-hmm trauma or in some cases even perhaps even downright evil that had possessed them to to become perpetrators you know and that's a whole i mean that takes you to a place where it's not there's there's no forgiveness even needed because they didn't do anything wrong Mm. (laughs) you know but that that's a stretch and that's not you know that's not to give license to anyone who harms other people but Hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, and they're they're really the most evil of people are really doing what they believe is right at that given moment, right? And you can think about the most evil people in history. They were doing what they thought was right. Now, was it right or wrong? That's an arbitrary sort of observation. If others suffered, you could say, well, in the scale of morality, you'd consider that wrong. But, and they were also being controlled by their thoughts and feelings and ego and mind and programming and trauma to the degree that makes them a victim. And so there's nothing to be forgiven because they weren't doing anything wrong. Well, I mean, it, that's like a really zoomed out view. It might sound weird to someone who's still really feeling the sting of being victimized. But that's where my journey has taken me, not to condone anyone's behavior that wronged me. And there were boundaries crossed when I was a kid that were horrific in many ways and many times. But um, it feels so good to live free of that condemnation mm. and to actually have compassion for the perpetrators and to be able to see, oh man, God, I mean, I really feel for them. They don't need to be forgiven even. Mm. It's just the forgiveness is already inherent to my understanding of the dynamic that took place. Mm. And and I had some of that, but ayahuasca really was like, shown a huge spotlight on that it was just like a clarity a magnifying glass it was like oh fuck i thought i got this but now i really get it in a visceral way which is is immensely valuable because this is stuff i worked on for years and years and years through all different modalities and laying there for a couple hours i got a lifetime of clarity and compassion for myself and for the others and just an extreme uh, depth of healing yeah it's, it's incredible. It's it's really marvel. It's almost miraculous what is possible. 
And the distinction I'll draw in listening to what you shared, uh, which thank you for sharing, is is it's almost like witnessing uh, instead of like using evil and good because they're so loaded. What I what I've because there are certain things that still and this may be the limitation of my consciousness at the moment that I see as evil and like I still have a hard time bending my head around. But what I what I've what I do see is let's call it a spectrum of unconscious to conscious, and a lot yeah. of people are acting in unconscious ways, like they haven't even. Uh, like the, the 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 switch hasn't flipped to where they even see the consequences, like truly the consequences of their actions. And what's powerful is I think through some of these plants, you get almost like it's like an unfiltered, but also like um you get like a a, a neutral observer, like a very right. conscious neutral observer into the varieties of the human experience. Some would, which would be termed negative, very negative. Some, which would be termed very positive, but like in a way it's like, it's deeply experienced, but also somehow removed. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, wherein you can, you can process it in a way that gives you breath and opportunity to like truly, truly, truly be with it in a new way. Like some, some, some of it, I don't know if this is the exact right, but this uh, people have told me like, it's like having 10 years of therapy in a single night. <laughs> now that doesn't mean I don't think you should go to therapy, but I just think it's an interesting analogy where it's like, wow, you can do such, you can pursue such profound healing in the course of such a condensed quote unquote time window, even yeah. though in that experience, it's like time immemorial, right? It's like yeah. space and time do not exist in the way that we've codified or reified time, right? It's like you're enter entering into the primordial time. Right. Um, but I think to, to your, to the point earlier, right? Like there's very, like we are at a time in history in, in this 21st century with 8 billion people on the planet where you know, things are moving so expeditiously and in some ways in a very challenging way, right? Like in as we look at all the challenges from climate change on down. But I do think that returning to, in a conscious way, some of these um, ancient modalities in a way that's held properly can afford us insights into ways of healing ourselves and the collective. And I think it's really, you know, in, in that, journeyman search for true tools, true messengers. Though my experience has been that these different plants and each one has their own unique gift, right? Like, you know, um, ayahuasca is very different. You know, it's called the grandmother, very different from say Wachuma or what's called San Pedro, the grandfather or peyote or, you know, these, these they all have, you know, peyote is very heart opening. It's extraordinarily like ground it's a rooted it's a cactus so it's a very rooted you know um i as a vine it's a combination of two different plants so it's 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 a bit more like uh, like a like the vine itself it's a bit more like uh cosmological if you will right you know wachuma is uh the one plant i've had like what i would say like the the satori like the at total absolution of ego right like the total the experience which i've never never shared before but but uh because you you can't really approximate with words but that that experience of course i did come back into my ego but for a for a small period of time 
I experienced the true oneness and interconnection of all things and the absolution of that which I know as to be myself, as an unequivocal part of this whole, which we all are. And to feel that and to know that to be true when you confront various existential threats, it's like, it, it's, it's a calming anchor in a way that very few things, I don't know if anything could be, right? Because it's like, you know that we are in our essence, totally all one. And I know we say that and it sounds trite and it sounds cliche, <laughs> but like to have a direct experience of that yeah. in a way where it's like, you can never not know that. It's like, yeah. once you've seen something, you can never like turn it off, right? It's like, I can never not know that experience. Um, that doesn't mean I hold it. I mean, I, I would love to hold it, you know, from here on out, but you know, I came back to my ego, but to have seen and experienced that, and I've had moments, you know, tastes in meditation and, and obviously sort of other modalities, you know, but, but to have had that gift, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the greatest gifts I, I could ever receive. Thank you for sharing your experience. Yeah, I think man. it's fun. I'm going to probably be talking a lot more about those particular paths now that I've been kind of awakened to them. Yeah. What uh, What are your plans for the future, dude? We talked about your book and your kind of vision on helping teach people how to build community and different ways of marketing and networking and building businesses and uh, building a tribe. What's going on with your podcast? Other work that you're doing that you're stoked about right now? Where Where have your um, your where's your curiosity led you to at this point? Yeah, man. Well, the energy is is really it's been it's been a beautiful and I it, it's I mean it's a beautiful segue because actually you know a lot of the work in inside. So I was doing before um, I was working on building a large philanthropic music festival. Um, which it was an absolutely beautiful and profound journey. Share another time, but you know, I, I had this sort of awakening that was catalyzed by my my father's you know disease, his, his dementia, and I took him to South Africa, and that was really coming back. I did a thirty day meditation, and that was where the idea for hosting the Dalai Lama for his 80th birthday came from, and that was the birth of Peak Mind, which I actually started doing my podcasts then, which was in 2015. Actually, I started my podcast in early 2014, but I didn't launch. Why? Because my ego was messing with me. So I had this like judgment that it was a massive downstep in what I was doing to go from this large philanthropic music festival to like, you know, some podcast I produced in my living room. Um, but what was beautiful is, and I, this happened to me last year, I'll just share this quick story and then I'll, I'll answer your question directly. But I went to see this Fleetwood Mac show and I know you're, you're a huge fan of, of uh, music as well. And they did a tribute to Tom Petty. And last year I was actually meant to go to a Tom Petty show a friend of mine who launched the festival with hosts a variety of music festivals, Coachella and a few others. And Tom Petty was headlining. And it was literally a phone call away. And I was like, oh, I'll catch him next year. And of course, Tom Petty passed away. And so they're doing this tribute to Tom Petty, who's like in front of me during this Fleetwood Mac show, one of my favorite bands. And I'm watching this man sing his song. And I'm thinking to myself, he passed away. I'll never have a chance to see Tom Petty live. Why? Because I waited. And in that moment, I was like, you know, I'm going to sing my song. It doesn't matter if three people show up or 300,000. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sing my song because I've been waiting and certain things will pass you by if you keep waiting. And so I launched a podcast. It's been, I mean, 
it sounds cliche to say, but it has literally changed my life. Just just the shift within of saying, you know what, regardless of how other people see it, judge it, my ego's conversation around it, I'm going to launch this with the intention of adding the most value I can to people's lives and share the things that scare me, right? Like today, I've never shared publicly my plant medicine experience. Right. Like I would have previously been like, oh, you know, like, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keynote the United Nations again if like someone hears that I've done plant <laughs> right. medicine, right? Like my ego, like, like, and I think some of that's I guess good to be mindful of, but also I'm like, you know what, if it serves people and I don't get invited back into certain rooms because I've now publicly, you know, shared that I've done plant medicines, so be it. I'd rather it be a value to people. And so what's up for me now is you know, is growing the podcast with, you know, the most profound guests that, um, that I can. I've been super lucky so far uh, in terms of the caliber of people that have said yes. Um, I think especially for, for a newer podcast, you know, so we've had everyone from the Dalai Lama and Deepak Chopra to, you know, Laird Hamilton, Maria Sharapova on the performance side to, you know, the Mark Hyman, Dave Asprey, Jim Quicks, a lot of the folks, I mean, yourself, where you're going to be on shortly, <laughs> Luke Story. I'm in good company. You're in good company. So, you know, the, me and the Dalai Lama, <laughs> Avi. The vision, the vision is to have, you know, the peak minds of the world, those that can offer insights, um, share their their greatest wisdom in a way that really can serve people. And, and my vision with the book really is, this first book is to provide a roadmap for relationships in a new way, in a way that can help people to build the life-changing relationships where you know you really truly feel that every aspect of your life is better because they're in your life, right? And and giving you sort of uncommon strategies that I've garnered in building a couple of these platforms and being able to um, get access to some of these profound minds in sharing, which is what I'm often asked. And I hadn't really thought about because I don't do it in a transactional way. But like, here's how I go about things that you could apply in your own life to hopefully, you know, take your life to the next level. And, um, and, and continue to do events just because I love it, right? For no other reason. Like dinners, I like to do like a monthly by monthly dinner series where I just host people. I've been very lucky in that a lot of people have been like, hey, will you host one with me? Or like restaurants have been like, dude, we'll love, you know, because I don't have a big enough living room to host everyone in my house. But um, but I love building community and I'll, I'll do, I'm going to do another sort of large scale events. Uh, probably not the scale of Global Citizen, but I actually haven't talked about this either. I'm I'm looking at doing a put it out there now. Uh, I want to host the largest online meditation in 2020 on Earth Day and connect the meditators to reforestation. So I'm looking at planting. I'm saying it publicly. So now this is this. Is, <laughs> I want to I want to create partnerships to plants in excess of a million trees but I want to do it by connecting meditators to reforestation. Because I think one of the most important conversations we're not yet having, or we are having, but I'd like to be having at a larger level, is what's the connection between our inner world and the outer world? And that's that's a lot of the conversation that's been happening within me is like, how do we create impact in the world, which is what I focused on previously. But then I realized, you know, this is a crass analogy, but like, most lottery winners, most professional athletes go back to their default income before their windfall. Why? Because their mindset was fixed still to an old mindset. And I think in this brave new world we're living in, we need to really work on our inner world and mindset, hence meditation as a symbol. 
but also we can't be naive to the fact that we are living in a world of exponential change. And if we don't attend to things like climate change, uh, within 10 years, there will be like, there already is irrevocable damage, but there will be, you know, we will see profound, you know, uh, climate apartheid basically between those that have and those that don't have and and those that do not. So how do we start to, you know, in the wellness world, for example, you know, it doesn't matter how many green smoothies you drink. If you don't have clean air to breathe and if, you know, we have climate refugees everywhere, we we will find, we, we will be pushed on a global level. So trying to continue to keep that like individual global conversation happening in unique ways that don't encourage fear and shame, but more like how can we utilize our own lives in a way that serves all? So whether that be relationships, whether that be impact, whether that be health and wellness, how can we have that conversation in a way that that speaks to people? And that was based off of with Global Citizen. You know, we made it so like you don't buy tickets, you get tickets based on your social activism. So if you're a Beyonce fan or you're a Neil Young fan, you get there not because you buy a ticket because we're not asking for your money. You get there because you take an action. You sign a petition with the Gates Foundation. Uh, you you volunteer. You do different actions. Um, a lot of them were more digitally qualified. You consume this piece of content, which is an educational piece of content around these issues of facing this community. And those points become your ticket. And I love that. Like, How do we take the technology of today and gamify it in a way that evolves people's consciousness and makes a difference on the planet. So I want to apply some of those similar principles um, to the inner world and the outer world. Dope. I'm stoked. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm planting some trees in my backyard today. Right? Yeah, you are, brother. Or, it's perfect timing, actually. Right my, before we started, this Task Rabbit showed yeah. up and a gentleman, Luke is uh Luke has founded a very gregarious, nice young man who is uh, who's currently uh, enhancing the forest in his own backyard. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, it's nice to come out of a podcast and have more forest in your backyard. I think you're winning, <clears throat> right? I mean, and talk about uh, leverage. I mean, yeah. you're doing what you love and also yeah. reforesting. I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, I, I really believe in establishing an hourly rate for yourself yeah. and not doing work that unless you enjoy work, you know, that's um, a lower pay grade. But yeah, you know, all week I've been looking at those pots in the backyard. I'm like, oh man, I need to just take some time off and go pot those. And I'm like, in the amount of time I could pay someone who would be stoked, what you know, whatever, I think 35, 45 bucks an hour that guy just got. If you asked me, hey, Luke, want to come over to my house and I'll pay you 35 bucks an hour to go work in my backyard, I wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't just, ask you and you wouldn't do just it. Just because... Yeah. I could do something else that's um, for me more productive in, 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 you know, monetarily or just in moving the needle. So, totally. yeah. So I, I love when I'm able to kind of multitask and give someone else some money for something that I don't want to do. And then I can do the things that I'm best at. Maybe I'm better at making a podcast than that task rabbit is at sitting here on the mic. Maybe I think not. You probably are. Who knows? Maybe he's a badass podcaster too. And also is a great gardener. Maybe he'll start one right after this. <laughs> yeah, he could yeah. start a podcast about gardening. Well, I handed him my flyer. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I like. I love your flyer game, by the way. It's I'm, I'm like, here's what we were doing in here. Because I was like, I got to shut the door so we don't hear your shovel or whatever. And he's like, oh, cool. I like podcasts. I'm like, yeah, listen to it while you work. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless promoter. Uh, okay, so who are three teachers or teachings that our guests could go check out that have impacted you in your life? Uh, okay. I want to be intentional with this. So, uh, Rahula's what the Buddha taught is, is, is a great introduction. 
I, I lived in a Buddhist country for two years and I think whether, and to me, it's not about becoming a Buddhist. It's just, I think the, the eightfold path, a lot of the, um, it's not lost on me that the Buddha attained enlightenment under a tree mm. meditating. Um, but I think, I think that what I've seen in regards to someone who was a prince and surrounded by material wealth and sacrificed that in pursuit of a deeper wisdom, a deeper, I hesitate to use the word pleasure, but a, 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 a deeper pleasure is, is wisdom for our time. I think, I think Eckhart Tolle is kind of, has taken a sort of a postmodern spin on that with, with some of his work. I love the surrender experiment. I think the surrender oh, experiment God, is so such, awesome. a, such a good book. Yeah. I read it at a really uh, powerful time in my life. And Michael I, Singer, for yeah, those, Michael uh, those Singer. doing the show notes and, and uh, wanting to look it up. Yeah. And, and that <clears throat> notion of um, sort of getting out of your own way uh, I think is really powerful. And then the third, I'll actually, uh, is a more modern writer, which is The Obstacle is the Way. And that's Ryan Holiday. And I think that that's a very profound tool when we go through challenges, which, which all of us do, right? And it's, it's kind of like, um, how do we see those challenges, right? Either to keep with the gardening analogy, right? Either it's shit or it's compost. It's shit if we if we continue to dwell in it as a, um, and this is not to uh, belittle anyone's challenges, but like you know, the longer we hold on to it and are in victim to something and and add effect to it, as opposed to turning it into the compost for new opportunities, to, to taking the obstacle and using it as an opportunity, to taking the shit and using it as compost to grow new seeds, to you know, to to create a flourishing garden. I've seen in my own life when I've held on to shit too long, it has not served me. And I know that that's probably true for many people listening. So I think that book does a really beautiful job of showing people that shit can become compost and or the obstacle in front of you is a beautiful opportunity. Love it. Where can people find you on website, social media, etc.? Online, I'm at Michael Trainer, and on uh, my website is peakmind.org, and uh, I'm Peakmind with Michael Trainer on iTunes and all the podcast platforms, which you'll be on uh, very shortly. About twenty minutes. (laughs) Twenty minutes. (laughs) And uh, yeah, hit me up on social. I love feedback. Uh, I'd love to hear what was most valuable. Tag both of us actually. Um, and hit us on social because I love being in conversation. And to me, this is all about community. And I love what you're doing with Lifestylist. It's an honor to be on the show, man. I really believe in you and I believe in what you're doing. And it's it's really an honor for me to to just have time to sit down with you and, and share some of our collective experiences. So Thanks. I'm grateful. Likewise, dude. Yeah, brother. All right, until next time. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation with my friend, Michael. Isn't he just the raddest? Make sure you guys go check out his podcast, Peak Mind. As I said in the intro, I was a recent guest and he's had amazing people like the Dalai Lama, obviously. I love that I was on the same podcast as the Dalai Lama. I got to say, that's that's a sweet ego boost right there, which is kind of contradictory, right? Uh, Because Buddhists aren't supposed to have an ego. And if I want to be in the same league as the Dalai Lama, I shouldn't be bragging about how I was on the same podcast as him. But there I am, and there I'm doing it. I'm owning that shit. Check it out. Um, As I requested in the intro, but if you're one of those little sneakers that fast-forwarded it and didn't hear me, follow me on Instagram, and you can watch all of my interviews behind the scenes live with all of their 
screw-ups and bumps and bruises and everything, you know, that happens unexpectedly in the recording of a podcast. And oftentimes, which is the case right now, as I record into this microphone, you can actually watch all the behind-the-scenes production. So if you're ever curious how this podcast is produced and you want to see what I do every single step of the way, I'm happy to share it with you for free on Instagram. I'm at Luke Story. Upcoming events, dude, you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and um, John Gray, and I wish I had all the other speakers in front of me, but the Health Optimization Summit, September 14th and 15th, uh, is put on by Bulletproof Upgrade Labs and Paleo Effects. It's a world-changing partnership between those two mega events uh, coming together with my friend Tim Gray at the head of that operation. And uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the MC, uh, hopefully doing a talk and all kinds of different things over there. And if you want to come for free, it's super easy to win, dude. Just go to this URL, lukestory.com forward slash London. That's lukestory.com forward slash London. Enter your name and your email. And on August 30th, I'm going to announce the winners, which means you're going to get an email going, you won, boom, come to London. If you're on a US phone, you can just text the word London to 44222. Text the word London to 44222 on a US phone. If you are in Europe or international outside of the States, just go to lukestory.com forward slash London. So that's going to be rad. I can't wait to do this event. It's going to be insane. And I can't wait to hopefully meet you there. It's real easy to win, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. can't tell you how you win, but I can tell you it's real easy. Just go where I told you to go and your chances are pretty good. Uh, okay, then we've got our sponsors. Oh man, Onda Wellness. You know, it's funny. Every time I do my plugs at the end, I always think, oh yeah, I just used this. I just did this. And actually, to be honest, I haven't used Onda Wellness in a few days because I'm out of their tincture. I have a few of their uh, CBD capsules, but I use those only for travel. I take like a million of them and knock myself out so I can get lots of great deep sleep. It's weird. You know that if you do THC, it Fs up your REM sleep. But I find this really potent Onda Wellness CBD is great for my REM sleep, but what it really rocks is my deep sleep, which of course I track with my Aura Ring. So if you want the best CBD in the world, go to OndaWellness.com. The code there is Luke15 to save 15%. That's OndaWellness.com. And we've got Beekeepers Naturals. I just hung out with Daniel, uh, one of their guys yesterday. I was uh, doing an ice bath and a sauna with my friend John Durant, who's going to be on the show soon. He's the author of the Paleo Manifesto. Great guy, brilliant dude. We're just, we're buds now. And yet he, at first he was like one of my target guests, you know, back in the day. And then we became buds and now I never record with the guy. Anyway, I'm hanging out with John and here comes Daniel from Beekeepers Naturals. And he dropped a couple of their new test products on me which I probably can't talk about yet, but they are freaking insane. But for now, you can get the most chronic, effective, amazing, superfood bee products from beekeepersnaturals.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST there and save yourself 15%. That, that's beekeepersnaturals.com. Last but certainly not least, Four Sigmatic, the amazing, super easy to use, delicious medicinal mushrooms, the chaga, the reishi, the cordyceps, the lion's mane, all that jam. I use these things every freaking day, usually in my coffee. And uh, the code there at foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist is the lifestylist. So go to foursigmatic.com, the lifestylist. The code there is the lifestylist and you save 15% off. So thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michael Trainer, Amazing guy. Definitely one to watch. He's on the rise. He's doing some super cool stuff. 
and I can't wait to hang out with him again, uh, which I'm imagining will be in some kind of plant medicine ceremony. I just have a feeling that's how it's going to roll. Uh, make sure that you uh, tune in this Friday for a bonus show, Elemental Alchemy. It's a live talk that I did at Rama in Majorca, Spain. And then Tuesday with Dr. Ted Achacoso. I know I say this every week, like this is the best episode ever coming up on Tuesday. But honestly, straight up, this two-hour interview with Ted Achacoso, who, by the way, has one of the eighth highest IQs in the entire world, meaning he's one in eight million people with the highest IQ. This dude is a super freak of nature, amazing, loving, kind, spiritual, brilliant, brilliant guy. He's a cosmonaut. He is out there and he's also super smart. The best of both worlds. So that's Tuesday's show. Make sure you subscribe to the show and for God's sake, please text or email a couple of your homies this particular episode. It's super easy to do. Click the bottom right of your podcast app click share and just text it and text it to a thread of friends, like text five friends and be like, yo, this guy's wacky. He keeps demanding that I share the show every week and I'm finally doing it. But seriously, I'm creeping up on 3 million downloads. I'm so close. I think I'm like 75,000 shy of 3 million at the time of this recording. If everyone that listened to this episode texts it to five friends, by the end of the month, I'd be at 3 million. That's how easy it is to help me get over the mark. And what that means is, I get better guests, better production, and I get to eat, which is awesome. Thank you so much for joining me on this show. No matter who you are listening, from the bottom of my heart, I love you. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.